In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about eyebrows and ear wiggling, swooning over the chimney sweep, and responsibility versus being responsible in our discussion of Curtsies and Conspiracies by Gail Carriger. <laughs> we only produce the podcast of Quality. Quality. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. And today we are going to discuss <laughs> Curtis and Conspiracies by Gagaraja. She's a lady of quality. He said courtesies. Did I? Stupid French accent. <laughs> Damn you, French! I'll just say it normally. I, you know, I think it's fine if we no. just continue on. Just we'll leave do, it. We'll do it normally for the for the audio, the need at normal. And I'm Claire. And today we're going to discuss Curtis and Conspiracies by Gail Carriger. And I laughed all the way through that one. It's fine. I'm leaving both of them. Standard disclaimer. Bollocks. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. <laughs> please remember Fictional Hangover it is all about quality. Quality. <laughs> right, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> no, you're For now. Not. For about five seconds. For this current minute. One, two, three, <laughs> four, five. Do you have any quality background information? I do. From Miss Gale's website again, because like I said last time, it's the best website ever. There's a plethora of information. There is. She has an FAQ page, and one of the frequently asked questions is, what inspires this kind of writing? And then there's a quote, and I chose this this bit of information because this quote is from book two. It is from this book. Oh my goodness! Is that an electrospeech goop slammer pot? I do believe it is! And is that a thrushbottom peep manga swizzle sprocket? Oh! Two swizzle sprockets! Viev was practically squeaking in excitement. <laughs> Thank you. The two swizzle sprockets! So, that was the quote that she was provided. What makes you write this kind of thing? And she says, Ah, you picked up on an inner sci-fi fan moment of mine. I love Star Trek, The Next Generation, and I remember seeing an interview where the actors complained about having to memorize and spout technobabble. This kind of writing is my ode to technobabble. Only I intend mine to sound quintessentially Victorian. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yay. Oh, Viev. I love Viev. She's delightful. I don't think I have any initial thoughts on this one. Because I think we're probably just given them. <laughs> Viev is delightful. I know, I know. And we just love this series so much. Please see all previous comments regarding yes. anything Gail Carriger. But make sure that when you listen to it again, you put it in a terrible French accent. Oh, of course. Terrible. A terrible French accent. 
I don't know what that was. It was terrible for sure. That was replicating exactly what I did at the top. (laughs) And that's staying in. (laughs) Let's just go to the summary. Please do. Let's just, just skip everything. Lady Lynette interrupts a lesson with Sister Maddie, shocking in itself, to collect Sophronia and Dimity. Oh, no. As Sophronia passes her classmates, they give her knowing looks. Even Agatha wishes them good luck. What could possibly be in store for them? In silence, Lady Lynette escorts the girls to the far recesses of Mademoiselle Geraldine's finishing academy for young ladies of quality to a room marked Assessment Chamber 1. Enter at risk. It's time for their six-month review. Ba, ba, ba. Inside the chamber is a huge mechanical machine. Sophronia remembers being referred to as an odd god machine. Which presents... It's an odd job machine. That's so French. Odd job. Have you got to say it? Odd job. Well, you have to be Viev whenever you talk about the so odd you've got job. To, so you've got to go refer to it as an odd job machine. Odd job. Okay. In- <laughs> Inside the chamber is a huge mechanical machine. Sophronia remembers being referred to as an odd job machine. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Which presents the assessment tasks. First of all, an oil painting drops down and after a moment is jerked away. Then a tea service is presented with cold tea and comestibles. After a quick deliberation, Sophronia serves as etiquette would demand. She doesn't partake, however, due to the suspicious smell of lavender in the cups and the discoloration on the cakes. Then the odd job presents hair ribbons, followed by a tray with various objects. Once these are taken away, a slate is presented, saying, send help immediately, plus some parchment, ink and sweets. A meal is then delivered just as Sophronia's stomach protests. But is this part of the test? Mm-hmm. While Sophronia waits for Lady Lynette to return, she examines the odd job and spots a crystalline valve propped inside. Very very similar to the prototype from her adventures shortly after being accepted to the school. Quickly, Sophronia pockets the valve, intending to give it to her young, exceedingly French engineering friend, Vieux. French. French. <laughs> she's hardly French, she's French. She's French. Vieux. She's a little, a little rascal. <laughs> Lady Lynette enters. She's just finished administering Dimity's assessment. As she gets a printout from the odd job, it explodes. (laughs) Oh, man. Lady Lynette fires questions to Sophronia about her choices during the assessment and seems very pleased. Sophronia will receive her results at the same time as everyone else. However, initial assessment is promising. Sophronia loves it at Mademoiselle Geraldine's Finishing Academy for Young Ladies of Quality and would hate to be sent home. Dimity, however, is being very dramatic, but is hopeful she won't fail as she seems to have made similar decisions as Sophronia. Assessment over, Dimity has something to share with Sophronia and their friends Sidhe, Lady King Air, and Agatha. Lord Dingleproops has sent a missive he wants to meet in private and alone. <gasps> this is shocking. Oh my gosh. 
Dimity dismisses everyone's concerns, though Sidhe points out that if Lord Dingleproops is flying up to the school, that's not nothing. Dimity insists it must be important, or maybe even a declaration. Sophronia, with her critical eye, wants to know why Lord Dingleproops would use his father's stationery. As Dimity intends to go, hmm, Sophronia intends to follow. Hmm. Professor LeFou delivers the results of the assessment. Monique's a first. It is the school's recommendation that she marry with no second attempt at finishing. Wow. Yeesh. Monique threatens to tell her special friend, of course, and have her father withhold his donation from the school. Pressure is adept but relies on looks. Agatha receives poor marks and is put on a sixth month probation, as is said here, even though she demonstrates excellent use of weapons. Dimity receives fair marks with the suggestion that she must build her character. And Sophronia, well, she receives the highest marks in a sixth month review ever. <gasps> yeah. Professor LeFou remarks that the biggest concern is what Sophronia is getting up to outside of lessons. They suspect she is spying on them. <laughs> yes, that would be right. <laughs> it's true. You're right. At the release of their review results, her fellow students become openly hostile, talking about Sophronia not to her. Even Dimity, her best friend, turns away from her. Oh, it's not a good harsh. feeling. That's harsh. Despite her friend snubbing her, Sophronia still follows Dimity to her assignation with Lord Dingleproops. Sophronia has a hurley, a small grappling rope knotted at stages for climbing, to help her traverse the outside of the dirigible. It's all quiet until an air dinghy arrives. But instead of Lord Dingleproops, there are two men on board, and neither are wearing the Pistons' signature top hats. <gasps> Sophronia acts quickly by throwing a bread roll from her pocket at them, hitting one man. Then she fires her hurley at a dinghy balloon and rips a hole in it. One of the men fires a pistol. Then Sophronia manages to use her hurley again on the other balloon, and the dinghy is forced to float down. Dimity, at first confused at what's going on, figures out that Sophronia is there and accuses her of ruining everything. But, but who were those men? And what did they want with Dimity? Shrug. Shrug. Sophronia finds refuge in the boiler room where her assessment marks mean nothing. She is teaching Soap to read, which is enough for him, but he doesn't want to become her next project. Sophia takes exception to this before realising that Soap is likely right. While they are chatting, they flirt. Even Viev popping in doesn't stop them. After Viev mm -hmm. has an exchange with an unknown sooty, Soap tells them that they've taken on double numbers and some are dubious types. There is a long trip being planned, so they need to take on extra numbers and extra supplies, and are currently heading to Swiflon X. In other boiling room news, the cities have adopted a kitten. Yeah. Sophronia gives the pilfered valve from the odd job to Viev, who was curious as to why an odd job would need a valve, as they don't require wireless communication. But she's pleased at the gift and the prospect of future testing. 
At breakfast the next morning, Mademoiselle Geraldine announces the stopover at Swiffel on X, which Sophronia's friends realize she already knew about. At Swiffel on X the following day, Sophronia watches in fascination how the dirigible takes on extra water. And then she spots the cities frolicking in the river. Naked! Shocking that we're looking. (laughs) I know. She wishes that she could spot soap amongst them, but she can't. Shucks. (laughs) The day after, again at breakfast, Mademoiselle Geraldine announces that they will be taking a trip to London and will be joined by boys from Bunsen and Lacroix's Boys Polytechnique. Amongst the Bunsen boys is Pillover, Dimity's brother, Lord Dingleproofs, and the dark-haired piston boy Sophronia spurned during their dance together at her sister's coming-out ball. The reason for the trip is to witness Henri Giffard's first transcontinental dirigible flight from Paris to London, which will only take an hour using ether currents and new valve technology. Breakthroughs! Scientific breakthroughs! Vieve stops by the debut's room before lessons. She's very excited by the trip. Imagine transcontinental dirigible flight through the ether! Amazing! It's amazing! Science! Fiev also heard that one of the teachers is required in London, but doesn't know who. As they talk, Bumba Snoot starts shuffling about, gathering his reticule disguise. He wants to come with Sophronia to lessons. Aww. First up is faking it with fangs with Lady Lynette. During the lesson, the girls are paired with the visiting buns and boys to roleplay interacting with a hive member. During the second pairing, Sophronia is partnered with Felix Mersey, heir to the Goldborn dukedom. The brooding boy she spurned. He calls her Rhea against her wishes and is infuriating and audacious flirt. Meanwhile, Dimity is partnered with Lord Dingleproops, and their conversation gets rather heated as she waves his missive and he looks completely perplexed. He clearly did not send her that assignation request. But who was it? Shrug. Shrug. Quality shrug. Unlike... <laughs> Quality shrug. Do you think that's one of the lessons? Yeah. How to shrug. We get lessons in eyelash fluttering and how to perfectly arch their eyebrow in a quizzical manner. I'm conveying you a secret message. What is it? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't taken that <sighs> lesson <minutes>. yet. <laughs> Unlike his sister, Pillover is talking to Sophronia. He has no idea why he was selected to come on this journey because he is by no means a top student, and he's also not really sure that having a sister aboard is a driving factor. Sophronia confesses that she thinks someone is after Dimity. Pillover agrees that the missive she received was most definitely not from Lord Dingleproops. Sophronia isn't sure who could be after Dimity and asks if Pillover has had any odd encounters, but he hasn't. Conversation 
turns to Felix, and Sophronia learns that he is from a historically anti-progressive family who has fought the integration of the supernaturals into society. Viev pops by their table then and tells Sophronia that Soap sent her to tell her there is something happening in the boiler room tonight that they will both want to see. Viev offers to come by later with the obstructor, and Pilliver suggests she take company and gives a pointed look toward Felix. Sophronia catches on and asks Pilliver to extend an invitation. Pointed look with eyebrow. After a very tiring lesson on the ground with Captain Nile on the importance of running away where everyone suffers several gooseberry jelly deaths, Sid here hangs back to speak to the werewolf. Sophronia, who was pushed to the back of the boarding line intentionally by the other girls, also dawdles. Sid here has a matter of pack to discuss. She believes the pack is angry and that her grandfather is losing control. Captain Nile says the upcoming ether dirigible flight is worrying all the supernaturals. Mm. As they ascend to the ship together, Sid here admits to Sophronia that the werewolves think the vampires are trying to master ether travel for themselves and that Giffard is likely funded by the vampires. It seems there will be a contest for control. Oh no. Could have seen that one coming. (laughs) (laughs) That night, as Sophronia and Viev are sneaking past the teachers' rooms, the alarms sound, causing them to quickly hide behind a statue as the teachers come out to investigate. Only Professor Braithwope is dressed, it being nighttime and he being a vampire, so he volunteers to go and sort out the problem, which is no doubt a Bunsen's boy sneaking about. Perhaps Felix trying to follow Sophronia. <gasps> no Geraldine girl would have been caught, says Lady Lynette, who pointedly looks toward the statue. They know everything. I wish I could raise my other eyebrow. This whole episode is just going to be me trying to raise the other one. <laughs> I can't do that. I would have so advanced lessons in message communication through ear wiggling. You can wiggle your ears, too? Yes, I can wiggle them independently as well. Which apparently is a very good skill, like a rare skill. That That's my weird thing I can do. I can't do anything. Oh, it's... I thought everybody could, but apparently no. This well, I thought everybody could when I was little, but any you no. that was definitely a visual medium. <laughs> it was. Everyone make sure you join our bonus here. So you can watch Claire wiggle her ear for a few seconds. <laughs> Worth it. It was quality. Worth it. It was quality. Quality ear wiggling. Sophronia and Viev continue onto the boiler room, which is a buzz with activity. The steam machine is being brought out and Soap tells them they are going to wait. The machine is complicated, which delights Viev, and the fact that they can create their own cloud to hide in it delights Sophronia. It has the added bonus of helping keep Dimity safe from attack if they can't be found. Before Sophronia leaves the boiler room, Soap is being extra flirty with her. Perhaps mm-hmm. he is jealous of this Felix Toff. It seems that Soap is about to lean in and kiss her, but he changes to the small, exposed skin above her glove, and we all swoon. All of us. Oh, oh Soap. Sophonia doesn't think of Soap like that. Does she? Yes, she does. The friends! Yes. The friends! So she takes the overture in jest. 
Nope. Nope. <sighs> On the way back to her room, Sophronia asks if they can swing by Professor LeFou's classroom. From the balcony, they see Professors LeFou and Shrimp Diddle from Bunsen's bent over a disassembled apparatus, arguing, when Monique comes in, demanding an update. Professor LeFou accuses Monique of setting off the alarms, which she scoffs at, telling the teachers it was a Bunsen's boy, and Professor Braithwope is dealing with him. This angers Professor Shrimp Diddle, who does not trust vampires and wants to know who is feeding him. Mm. That is inappropriate, sir. But a very good question. But you do not ask that question. A lady of quality does not ask such things. No. Do you ask what is in a lady's larder? No. No. Scandalous. (gasps) At breakfast the next day, Monique squeals, drawing all the attention to her. She will be having her coming out ball when they reach London. She is now even more the centre of attention and even more insufferable. Mm. Yeah. Dimity looks desperate to talk to Sophronia about it, but she is still shunning her. Oh, come on. Later in class, Monique is cruel to Dimity, which Sophronia refuses to let pass. This causes Dimity to step forward and declare to Professor Braithwarp that she would rather be loyal than right and won't participate in shunning any more. Outside, Sidhir and Agatha are also happy to ignore Lady Lynette's instruction to ostracise the girl with the highest marks. Friends again! Yes! Yay! Sophronia can now tell Dimity that she is sure someone is out to kidnap her. Oh. Oh. So not the ball then mm. at all. No. Wow. No. Later, Sophronia and Dimity encourage Agatha to infiltrate Monique's ranks to find out what she could be up to. Though Agatha is nervous, the poor thing, she is willing if it will help her stay at the school. Unfortunately, Agatha's reports are not at all interesting. Monique talks about nothing other than her ball, until one night, Agatha catches her sneaking out. Sophronia needs speed in order to catch up with Monique, so she borrows boys' clothes from Sidhay and follows Monique to Professor Braithwope's room. From the balcony, Sophronia listens to their exchange. She learns that this will be their last meal together, and that Professor Braithwope is the teacher needed in London to perform a test with Giffard. When Monique leaves, Sophronia isn't quite quick enough to hide properly and is spotted by Professor Braithwope, who gives her a wink. The next day, the dirigible lowers for layover and resupply, meaning the students are permitted to have lessons and a picnic outside. Sophronia and Dimity are sitting apart from the main group when Bumbersnoot lets out a whistle as three ruffians try to take Dimity and mention they also need pillover. <gasps> Sephora fires her hurley at one, and Bumbersnoot burns another. Dimity then faints at the sight of the blood, and Sephora screams for aid. Felix comes running and produces an evil-looking gadget. It's actually an automated boot-shining prong, but that's a technicality. It scares them off, that's the main thing. It does, it does. <laughs> Later, in the boiler rooms, Dimity makes a surprise appearance, led by Viev, who she blackmailed with a hat. (laughs) 
Dimity is here to perform charitable works and has brought pamphlets. The cities are well aware of who Dimity is already. They call her their angel of pudding mercy. As the cities teach Dimity some fighting moves, Viev tells Sophronia she hasn't made any headway with the valve. Then the boiler room alarms go off and Felix climbs in. Viev is also responsible for his intrusion. She told him how and where to climb to meet them, and in exchange, he will petition for Viev to be admitted to Bunsen's. Apparently, he is not aware that Viev is female. <laughs> As Professor Shrimpdiddle will know that Viev is a girl, the scamp asks for Sophronia's help to discredit him. If she does, and Viev is able to attend the boys' evil genius school, she will give all her gadgets to Sophronia. Drool, drool, drool. At 3 a.m. one night, Viev calls on Sophronia and asks if she would like to see the special shipment they took abroad. Uh, yeah, of course. Of course. Together they go to the conch. Together they go to the... Can- I can never say this word. Why did I put it in? I said carnivorous. I, I can never say it. Cavernous. Cavernous? Cavernous, yes. I'm terrible at seeing, seeing these words and instantly go to carnivorous every time. Look, it's a carnivorous room. Chomp, 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 chomp. Anyway. Well, I mean, it almost eats her. Tr- that, that is, is true. Evil. That is true. Together they go to the carnivorous... Just done again. together they go to the cavernous storage room near the propeller where there is a small shed Professor Braithwarp and Sister Matty are just coming out talking about a delayed shipment and repeated messages about technology Professor Braithwarp senses the girls and Viev steps out to take the fall as Professor Braithwarp is grabbing her ear Viev puts on a ridiculous showing of squirming in order to pinch the shed key and leave it for Sophronia Inside the shed is a lady's sitting room with an enormous number of embroidered cushions. As Sophronia realises the embroidery is a cord and she needs a cipher in order to understand the messages as she is long comes to life and charges. <laughs> of course it does. Because of because course this it is does. Because Madame, well, this is Mademoiselle <laughs> Geraldine's finishing school for ladies of quality. Of course the shears long is going to come to life. Of course. <laughs> of course. With the help of the obstructor, Sophronia is able to escape. Where all shades longs. She's able to escape the carnivorous shed. In the cavernous storage. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, the school leaves Dartmoor. On the squeak deck, Sister Maddie is holding class when Viev interrupts on powered skates and crashes into the teacher. These are her sputter skates, and she is using them to secretly test the valve. They obviously do not work properly, but Viev works out that the valve is meant to transmit protocols. Sophronia can feel a terrible headache coming on. Wink. So at lunch, she stays in her room where Viev joins her. They discuss their ladies' agreement about Viev's academic plans and the school's patron, but their chat is interrupted by the other girls returning to their suite. 
Then the perimeter alarm sounds. All the girls stay in their room, unable to hear anything that would have caused it. The ladies have tea and subterfuge with Mademoiselle Geraldine next, and some of the Bunsen boys will join. They also have a guest, a fortune teller named Madame Spatuna. Pressure goes first, and the fortune teller tells the little spider that she will marry more than once, which is definitely Pressure's dream. Next yes. is Dimity, who wants a simple life but won't get it. Then Monique, who will never be as important as she thinks she is. That's such a cutting remark, I love it. and that's all she said. It was perfect. <sighs> Agatha is told her fortune in private, Sid here knows her fate, and Sophronia thinks only in terms of the game and is advised to give her heart wisely. She is also told she will end the world as they know it. Wow. Whoa. During her reading, Sophronia slips a note to Madame Spatuna, offering three shillings to sow discord with Professor Shrimpdittle. The boys go next and end with Professor Shrimpdittle, who was told the Bunsen's headmaster doesn't value his contributions and that this trip is to keep him from becoming important. Yikes. Discussing the mm-hmm. fortune teller later, Sophronia says she's got to be a Geraldine's girl. Amongst her many scarves, she noticed the fortune teller was wearing an onion-shaped brooch. She must have come <gasps> aboard in secret while they were floating. She's the one who set off the perimeter alarm. <gasps> oh. Intrigue. Conspiracies, mm. you might say. <laughs> oh. And one or two curtsies? Mayhap. Mayhap a curtsy or two. <laughs> the next day, there is a postal delivery. The six-month reviews were sent out to the parents, and now most have replied. Sophronia doesn't receive a letter but instead finds two packages for her containing a gorgeous new day dress and a transformation dress. Later, while putting them away, Sophronia and Demity mention a couple of letters Monique secreted away and are curious about their contents. Demity also mentions that Pillover heard from their parents. Their mother is stuck working on etheric communication and their father is working on mechanical protocols. Though Demity is nonplussed, <laughs> Sophronia is excited because this is relevant. They are the ones who invented the valves, and that's why someone wants to kidnap Dimity. Do we? Oh. oh, after all of that. Oh, oh. Cross all the way back to chapter three of book one. Oh. <laughs> Mm, that's good writing. It is. That's, that's good excellent writing. Right writing. At su- supper, Pillover agrees to help VF infiltrate Bunsen's because it would be evil to do so and probably get him top marks if he were ever found out. Monique comes into the dining room and is nice to Dimity and even compliments her before asking her and Pillover to her ball. What? Uh, Dimity will only accept if Sophronia, Sid here, and Agatha may come. Monique obviously <laughs> doesn't want any of them to attend, but agrees. So what is she up to? <laughs> Something, Something, clearly. clearly yes. At the teacher's table, Professor Shrimpdittle obsessively glares at Professor Braithwop, who is sitting next to Madame Spatuna. Sophronia uses this as an opportunity to sow further discord about Professor Shrimpdittle and asks around the table if he can be trusted. 
whose politics does he really back? Mm. Late at night, Sophronia sneaks into Professor Shrimpdiddle's room with the help of the obstructor. Carefully, she places two dots of beet and walnut dye on his neck to simulate vampire fang marks. But on her way out, she runs into Madame Spatuna. As a bribe to keep her mouth shut, Madame Spatuna demands to borrow Bumbersnoot for three weeks. She plans to use the status the mechanical would confer as she infiltrates the pickleman. She also tells Sophronia that the flywomen are assembling a float gather, the first in 50 years, and are formally aligning with the pickleman. The next day, Sophronia seeks out Viev to have an explosive installed in Bumbersnoot that will go off if he is not returned within the agreed-upon three weeks. At breakfast, Professor Shrimpdiddle looks red-eyed and panicky and is wearing his cravat very noticeably high. A few days later, Mademoiselle Geraldine's Finnish Academy for Young Ladies of Quality arrives in London and anchors at the Crystal Palace, where the dirigible is hidden under a canvas banner advertising builders on safety inspectors and mock scaffolding. Mademoiselle Geraldine announces that everyone is restricted to the ship. At dinner, sitting next to Professor Braithorpe, is the potentate, the Queen's vampire representative on her shadow council. After, Sophronia hangs back and he is the potentate, say to Professor Braithorpe, for blood, queen and country, you are to be commended. Oh. <gasps> Unlike the dirigible, which houses Mademoiselle Geraldine's finishing academy for young ladies of quality, Giffard's ethership is elegant and floats into London to the excited cheers of the crowd, which includes Geraldine's girls. Night classes have been cancelled as the school dirigible is needed for a test by the government, so everyone needs to be off the ship. There will be accounting to ensure everyone has disembarked. <laughs> That's not going to stop Sophronia. <laughs> no, it's not. God, no, she can't not. resist being on board. No, she can't. She's got to be counting. She thinks they will be testing vampire tethers. The distance which a vampire can travel from their home, and she finds it very interesting. Before she sneaks off with the help of a distraction courtesy of Dimity, Sophronia orders the Plumley Tamot siblings to stay with Captain Nile and Sid here because the werewolves are the only ones not after them. On the squeak deck, Professor Braithwarp climbs into a contraption similar to a diving suit and runs over to Giffard's ship. Together, both ships rise above the clouds until the school dirigible stops, but Giffard's ship keeps going. On Giffard's ship, Professor Braithwaite starts flailing around before going over the side of the ship. Sophronia would never be certain if he jumped or fell. Oh. Mm. The school does not follow the falling professor, and in a panic, Sophronia climbs down into the boiler room. Soap points her to the person in charge, but her entreaties to lower the ship are ignored until orders come down from the pilot's bubble. After a moment, they do, and an emergency descent is ordered, requiring them to collapse the middle balloon, which is never done. Ever. 
Through the hatch, Sophronia can see London coming closer and closer at high speed, and a crowd surrounding the fallen body of Professor Braithwaite. <gasps> Professor Braithwaite looks monstrous and needs blood, so Monique is told to do her duty and feed him. But her sycophants and cronies shuffle away from her. Lord Ambrose of the Westminster Hive steps forward to look after Monique when they're able to pull her off from the Professor's fangs. And then Professor LeFou steps forward to feed her colleague. Ah. Whoa. Sophronia uses the opportunity to whisper in Professor LeFou's ear that she saw Professor Shrimp Little in her classroom with the ether suit the night before. Professor LeFou inspects the ether suit and finds it has been tampered with, so she formally accuses Professor Shrimpdittle of sabotage. The Duan, the werewolf member of the Queen's Shadow Council, and Lord Wolseley, werewolf Alpha, take Professor Shrimpdittle into custody. Amongst his ramblings and protests, the Professor rather shockingly, and in bad form, confesses to tampering with the suit. Oh, man. It's terrible. It Monique's coming out ball is that night, and those attending must dress and get going. Everyone is excited, except Sophronia, who can't stop thinking about Professor Braithwope and her part in the situation. Viev, who came to pass comment on outfits and accessories, tells Sophronia that she may have arranged matters, but the actions of others aren't her fault. Viev also informs her that it seems the tampering wasn't what drove the professor mad. That happened as soon as they entered the etherosphere. The suit offered him no protection from the ether, but was it that, or the snapping of his tether, or the fall that caused him to lose his mind? <laughs> At the ball, Felix flirts mercilessly with Sophronia, and she gives as good as she gets. But to her, it's all, it's all a tiring game and her mind drifts to Soap, who doesn't play these games with her. <sighs> During their first dance, Felix admits to trying to court Sophronia, but his pleas are interrupted when Sophronia notices Dimity, Pilova and Lord Ambrose are missing. Damn it! Cutting Felix off during their dance for a second time, Sophronia heads outside to see Dimity's skirts being pushed into a carriage. Without overthinking, Sophronia leaps onto the back of the carriage and holds on until they reach the Westminster Hive House. Sophronia can't hope to rescue Dimity and Pillover by herself and decides she needs reinforcements. Standing in the street at a bit of a loss, a fly stops in front of her, and a foppish dandy vampire offers her a lift, knowing she's one of Geraldine's girls, and Sophronia accepts without introducing herself. The dandy vampire doesn't reveal his identity either, and he declares he is not important and says he prefers to watch the goings-on around him instead of getting involved. <laughs> Back at Monique's ball, Sophronia spots Lady Lynette with the portentate. As she quickly makes her way over, Felix tries to intercede, but she tells him to tag along. Sophronia informs them of Dimity and Pillover's kidnapping by the Westminster Hive, but it's messed with this but it's met with disbelief and dismissal. Mm. Lord Ambrose has also returned to the ball, and the portentate calls him over to answer the egregious charge. Lord Ambrose turns the target toward the Pickleman and states that the Plumitermont 
father will probably have removed the children. Lady Lynette does not believe him, but also doesn't do anything with Sophronie's claims of kidnapping. Sister Matty comes along then and tells them all that Professor Braithwaite was awake and asking for the portentate. Sophronie realises she will have to rescue her friends. Begging a lift back to the school, Sophronie grabs Sid here and Captain Nile comes too. She also hints to Felix that if he wants to help, he'll have to figure something out. Back at the school, Sister Maddie says she will try to keep the potentate occupied for a time and leaves Sophronia and Sidhe, who immediately dress themselves as preposterous dandies. That's <laughs> what we should have been dressed up as today. Yeah. They exit through the boiler room, where Soap declares he's coming to help. Captain Nile is waiting for them outside and changes into a werewolf so the rescue team can ride him to the Westminster Hive House. The plan is to go through the front door, pretending to be drones of another vampire who had heard about the kidnapping, while Soap enters through another door, pretending to be a chimney sweep. <laughs> Amazingly, it works. <laughs> Lord Akeldama's reputation and penchant for jokes help Lord Dingleproops wink and Lord Mosey wink enter into the Westminster Hive. As they await an audience with the Queen, Dandy Sophronia and Dandy Sidhe hear a familiar voice from behind the door. It's Monique! <gasps> and she flirts with the ridiculous dandies. <laughs> not realizing that they are her classmates. Monique, man. The Monique. Come on. The footman apologizes for their new drone, who, despite witnessing a failed metamorphosis, is as bad as ever and still wants to stay with the hive. He also mentions how the dead drone was first rate and such a talented embroiderer. She must have been the Geraldine's girl who had infiltrated the hive and sent all the pillows. Did she ask for metamorphosis or was she murdered? Oh. Intrigue. Finally, they are announced to the hive queen, Countess Nadasde. Sitting next to her is Dimity, who was passed out from seeing the bloody metamorphosis, and Pillover, who was drinking tea. As they banter back and forth, Soap comes bursting in, carrying everything one would need to clean the chimneys, shedding soot as he walks. Pointed remarks from Soap warn Sophronia that the Picklemen are on their way, and in their stride, Duke Gulborn, Madame Spatuna in disguise, and carrying Boomba Snoot and Felix Mersey. So... This is how Felix decided to help. Bring in his dad. Daddy, daddy, I need your help. I need your help. While Soap's clattering around in the background making a huge mess. Don't mind me, love. Skinny as a pickled gherkin, I am. Chim chimney, chim chimney, chim chim chimney. Madame Spituna puts Bumbersnoot on the floor, and chaos ensues. The Countess panics at the Mechanimal's appearance. The Pickleman and Hive begin arguing over access to the ether technology, and Soap continues cleaning the chimney. <laughs> cleaning chimney, the chimney. Chimney, 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 chimney. 
Dimity, now awake, takes Sophronia's cue and throws herself on the mercy of the Pickleman, pouting about the terrible conditions they've been kept in, which Pillover refutes. It's pandemonium. Dandy Sophronia and Dandy Sidhey offer to take Dimity and Pillover out of the equation so that the Pickleman and Hive can continue their discussion. Meanwhile, Bumbersnoot is being chased by the maids, his tail wagging more and more quickly. Sophronia has a sinking feeling. She knows that the speed of his wagging tail is linked to his imminent expulsion of the explosive device. <laughs> it's time to leave. Exit through the hive doors. Sidhe <laughs> grabs Dimity and Pillover and they're back towards Soap. A footman picks up Bumbersnoot as he spits out the explosive. Soap tackles the footman for Bumbersnoot. Sid here throws all of Soap's coal and equipment <laughs> up in the air and Sophronia dives the explosive, throwing it at the Hive Queen when the explosion goes off. <laughs> Before things settle, the two dandies, Chimney Sweep, Captives and Mechanimal are gone. Outside, Captain Nile bounds over to the group and everyone bundles on the werewolf somehow and they are away. Viev meets them at the entrance to the school, demanding to know what happened. Taking a moment, Sophronia sits down, rather shaken by the events, especially uh, the smell and feel of Soap's embrace. Oh. Sid here presses Sophronia to thank Soap with a kiss. And she does. And oh. it's a proper one. And we swoon. Monique never returned to the school after her coming out ball, which was declared a resounding success, and rumors of her preference for Westminster vampires circulate. Sidhe and Agatha were taken off probation without explanation. Sophronia learns from her ostracizing that she is reliant on her friends, but whether this is a good thing or not is yet to be seen. Sophronia tries to visit Professor Braithwope to no avail and feels the press of guilt and realizes she must consider the consequences of her actions. Viev disappears from the school before they reach Dartmoor and Professor LeFou is remarkably unworried. She soon starts to receive letters from her nephew, Gaspar LeFou, who has been accepted into Bunsen's. Sister Maddie warns that Bunsen's is in bed with the Picklemen, who have won the contract to produce the guidance valves, and that Professor LeFou should be careful with her nephew, or the octopus will have him. At breakfast, two new debuts have joined their table, and letters await Sophronia. The first is from Felix, filled with compliments. The second is from Lord Akeldama, who pays his respects. <gasps> You know what? I'm going to go and relive the scene with the chimney sweep and the whole thing and everybody else can listen to some of the podcast promo because... Yeah, I think that's fine. I was going to think about Soap's smooches. Oh, Oh, swoon. Swoon. 
Hi, this is Leah Stuhler, creator and host of YA Book Chat Podcast. If you love reading young adult books and chatting about them with your friends, then head on over to my podcast and take a listen. Each episode, my guest and I chat about a different YA book. We start spoiler-free and then head into our spoiler section where we dive into the mysteries of each book. And we do it with laughs and fun along the way. You can listen to YA Book Chat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast. And now back to the show. Have you picked yourself up off the floor? Do you need smelling salts? I might. I might need some smelling salts. Thank you. Oh, oh, this was such a good one. They're all good. What am I saying? I know. I know. I love it. I love it so much. I think I might like the next one. I think the next one might be my favorite. Although the fourth one is also very good, and so is the first, and so is this one. I can't help but feel that this entire series just reads as one big story, though. Mm. I mean, it could. It could. They're not super long, so... We should just cram them all together and read them all at one time. Well, that's what happened in the before times. I and know this is it not, is. This is and the we after talk times. about it in detail. Yeah, this is the after. Where times. minute detail and swooning and gasping yes. and winking all take place. Yes, and eyebrows, and eyebrows, and ear wiggles. Yes, all of it takes yes. place. Yes, all of it. All of it takes place. Shall we, shall we talk about Salt first? No, oh, I love him. I love him so much. I love him. Yes, we should talk about Soap. I love that he insists on coming along with them. He's like, hey, I like Dimity too. I want to help her too. He, he likes Dimity too, but he also just wants to go for the adventure. Of course. But, you know, he goes under the guise of wanting to help his friend. But he's so good. And then and then he's a chimney sweep. And he says that he's skinny as a pickled gherkin. <laughs> and, like, nobody's supposed to catch that? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so funny. It's so good. It's skinny good. as a pickled gherkin, I am. Hey, up, governor. <laughs> Just take a a minute, what the cock of going on here? <sighs> Start to get in here and the chimneys. And they're like, what? Why are you cleaning the chimneys? I'm supposed to start with this one right here. And it's like right there by Countess Nadasdy. And he's like shoving stuff up and making a big, huge mess. I love him. Skinny than I look, I am. I'll get up there right proper. I love him. I love him so much. Yeah, I don't like jealous soap, though. Like, not that I say I don't like jealous soap. I don't like... That soap has to feel or jealous or is made to feel jealous or just is jealous of Felix. Yeah. Because Felix, right from the get-go, gets my back up. Because he's like, no, Rhea, my dove, Rhea, my dove. And she's like, yeah, don't call me that. And she tells him two or three yeah. times. He just blatantly ignores her. And it's like, stop being over-familiar. Yeah. This is inappropriate. It's inappropriate, but also respect yeah, all that scene where 
they're in the classroom and they're learning, you know, about how to talk to vampires and what they need to do, whatever. And Sophronia and Felix are meant to be having a conversation hmm. as a lady and a hive vampire. And she's like, Lady Lynette, he is not doing this right. Like, he is making me uncomfortable, essentially. She's like, well, what are you going to do about it? And so she has to, like, figure out a way to put him down to get him to stop. And then Dimity's like, oh, you're flirting. You're flirting with him. And she's like, no, I'm not. And she's like, oh, but I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about soap. <laughs> and we all laugh. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you are. But she's also flirting with Felix, too, and that comes up again. You know, she likes, Dimity likes the way that Sophronia flirts with Felix because essentially she's just calling him a jerk, and he likes it. He likes, it is the you ultimate know, playing hard to get. treat them mean to keep them keen. It's, it's, it says a lot about Felix how he keeps coming back to Sophronia for this. Yeah. Yeah. But he just it helps that it's not the first time we've read these books or the second or the right. third or the fourth but you kind of <laughs> because you know how it ends you can see all the triggers and you can see how Felix just doesn't have a look in Yeah, from the outset even from book one where he's this mysterious dark figure brooding piston comes and dances with Sophronia and then she runs off at mid-dance. That should tell you a lot. <laughs> and then she does it again yeah. here. That should tell you a lot. That she's, she's yeah. running off and she's not even going, something's afoot, come with me. Yeah. She just leaves. She just, she leaves. just nopes right out exactly. of there. But when Soap says, I'm coming with you, breaking into the records room, mm-hmm. going to rescue Dimity and pull over, no question. And what he does in the next book. No question. It's yes, you're coming. That's fine. Yeah. So those actions should tell people a lot. And it's delightful yeah. in everywhere, shape and form. Yes. Soap is amazing. He's just so freaking sweet. He is. And I can understand how <sighs> Sophonia wants to get him out of the boiler room and she'll make an intelligence uh, out of him somehow. But mm-hmm. I think he also understands like where he he is in class structure in Victorian England. Yeah. You know, and it's going to be difficult for him to rise above the boiler room. But we have to wait till next book to talk more about and that. that's why I've stopped talking. Oh... <sighs> Okay, so I really, really enjoyed the odd job machine and the test that they had to take. Mm. I thought it was really fun and creative. Quirky and as anything. Wow. Yes, and just wow at Sophronia, who, after the test is complete and, you know, she gets her she gets her scores and they're better than everyone else's and then I believe it's Viev who asks her like you didn't do as well as you could do did you and she was like no <laughs> I thought I thought that was 
really impressive. And the fact that after she got out and Dimity was there waiting on her and she's like, oh, but did you do this? Because, you know, I think that if you did it, then it's probably okay that I did it too. And she's like, oh, yeah, but I didn't do very well on all of it. And oh, I had troubles. And she was definitely just lying to keep, you know, her friendship up. Well. To make Dimity not feel so bad about not being as great as she is. That's that's what happens when you come out of an examination with your friends. You start comparing answers. Right. And you you might know you've passed, but you are going to downplay it to so well. I assume you would downplay it, so you, your friends don't feel quite so concerned about it because the test's done. Mm-hmm. There's nothing they can do about it now. Yeah. And what you can do, knowing that you have passed. Or, you know, just because of what Lady Lynette said that, you know, the, the results are promising. That, to me, means you've passed, you're safe, you're secure. Yeah, um, yeah. Rather than what grade you've got necessarily. It it kind of, like, it's your duty as a friend. Not a fellow student, but your, as a friend mm-hmm. to assuage the worries of the others. Because it's going yeah. to be stressful, and it's, you know, yeah. Dimity might not want to be there because she doesn't want to be an intelligence. So she wants to be a lady who does charitable works and has a brood of children <laughs> and stays at home. And you know, she's she she doesn't want that life. But right. Agatha desperately wants to stay there because of fears with her father, and Sid here is just going through the motions. Right, Sidhe doesn't want to be there at all because she wants to go and become a werewolf. No, but I think it's also Sidhe does realise that she has to be there for a period of time because otherwise she's going to get sent somewhere, like her grandfather's going to send her somewhere worse. Yeah. She needs to ladyfy a little bit. Ladyfication. But it's it's very like telling of Sophronia's personality that this is how she's treating her friends because they are her friends and she loves them. Definitely. And then to immediately get shunned, she's like, oh, fuck. Damn it. Damn it. That that was harsh. But she worked out very quickly because, you know, she is made for the business. The game is hers to play. That they're doing it on purpose. But she doesn't push that. No. I think if she pushed it just slightly, she could get Agatha Dimity and sit here to start talking to her again quite easily yeah but she knows that's their instructions yeah she does and then she again doesn't want them to fail and in their studies and that's part of what they have to do for their training so exactly exactly she just takes it and then she goes and hangs out with viev and soap in the boiler room it's still a long period of time to be by yourself like she can only hang out with them at night time once everything's done yeah but she you know learns lessons from it too that her strength comes from her friends but then we have to decide well is that a good thing or a bad thing i think it's just a thing honestly because if you look at if you examine the way that sephoria operates she gathers the intelligence fairly independently like just if we think about the final scene she knows that pillow and dimity are in danger she notices yes. as soon as they get kidnapped that they're gone. Yeah. She follows them, finds out where they are, assesses the situation, and goes, I cannot deal with this by myself. I need reinforcements. 
So right. she knows what the limits to go to before she needs to call in assistance. And that in this yeah. case, yes, it is going to be her friends because there's nobody else who she can call on. I mean, look at Lady Lynette dismissing her. Yeah. Um, we shall come back to. Um, right. But when she's, you know, a grown adult intelligentsia lady of quality, she'll have a network. She'll have other people right. to be able to call on. And whoever her right. patron ends up to be, they'll have other agents she can utilise. But for now, she's got her friends. And I don't see that yeah. as a weakness. No. Coming back to Lady Lynette. Did Lady Lynette do, dismiss her on purpose? I think she did. I, I think she knew something was afoot. And I think that she probably would have come in and helped if Sophronia didn't immediately leave and get stuff going. I think that she would have come to the rescue. She wouldn't have let Dimity and Pillover get kidnapped. I mean, the, it was, it was a, the, it's a frustrating scene to read because quite clearly Pillover and Dimity aren't there. And yeah. as a teacher... You are responsible for these young ladies under your care. And she doesn't even yeah. go to check to see where the whereabouts are. Fine, she she you know, she protests when the potentate says that um is it the potentate or Lord Ambrose says that the Plumitea parents are under Pickleman contract. Yeah. And that yeah. they'll have come and withdrawn them from the school, which is like, no way. That's not no going to happen way. because half the time mm-hmm. they forget that they're even in the school. So they're not going to suddenly remember that there's a ball to come and steal them away from. Right. But then she also very quickly goes off to dance with the potentate or, you know, goes off with the potentate. And then the potentate spends the entire journey back to the dirigible once Professor Braith walks woken up, berating poor Sophronia. The best scoring debut if she's scoring so high as a debut what the hell is she going to be like when it comes to finishing yeah you 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 want to be nice to this person because they could bring you down and she's 14 no she's older than 14 14, 15 it's not that much longer that's still in the first year it would have been there for six months yeah i think she's 15 now okay but still, because she mentions she's still Monique, only fifteen, right? She mentions Monique being three years older, and then they make fun of Monique for having her coming out ball at eighteen. So oh old, gosh, it's so yeah, so on the shelf. I really liked when she did that though, when Monique was being rude to Dimity, and she's like, "I don't care that Dimity is not talking to me. That is not okay." And she just immediately puts Monique down and makes fun of her for having her coming out ball so late and whatever else she said. It was really great. She just totally burned her. It was amazing. She did. She really did. And then, you know, Dimity is like, okay, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. (laughs) Can't shun her anymore. Not going to do it. I'm glad Dimity stood up. I know. Me too. Um, Agatha was interesting, this one. Yeah. I have questions. 
What questions do you have about Agatha? And are they real questions about Agatha? Or are they, you already know what's going to happen with Agatha and her life and you're fake asking questions about Agatha? Possibly a little bit of both. Because we have talked about Dimity's, sorry, Agatha's, we've covered Agatha's story. Right. And It still pleases me and devastates me. And Precious's story. Agatha's story. But the way that, I'm trying to read these without necessarily knowing what's going to happen. Like, the first time we read it, fresh. It's difficult, mm-hmm. granted, because they are, like, you know, reread quite often, and Dimity's yeah. book has, uh, story has been done very recently. Mm-hmm. And that's part, so it is kind of tied into that. But kind of knowing Agatha's future. What I find weird with Agatha, which is less of a question, more of a statement, the mention that she doesn't want to go home because of her father, mm-hmm. that she, you know, her father's paying for her to be here, etc., etc. When, spoilers, if you've not read Dimity's story, go back. I can't remember Agatha's, Agatha's story. story. I'll insist on calling her Dimity. Um, which one was Agatha's? Well, it's it's got A's. Ambush or a door. Yes. So go back and watch um watch us read us listen to us, it, and the podcast. Words fail. Anywho. Uh huh. Those were words. <sighs> a big pile of them. I will admit to being very tired right now. <laughs> um. So in Agatha's story, we find out that she is already got a patron as she enters yes. school. Yes. Although, don't don't we find that out at the end of? We do find out in the, 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 the book four, and I'm not saying who mm-hmm. the patron is purposefully. Right. Let's not yeah. say that. I'm trying Let's to be obtuse as possible, but still trying to ask my yes. questions. But all the way through so far, we know that Dimity said it again. Agatha doesn't want to be um, withdrawn from the school. She doesn't want to lose her place at the school because she doesn't want to go home because of her father. We don't really find anything out about her father, but we know that she's already got mad intelligence and skills. Okay. So did she purposefully not pass the review? And if so, how much did she not pass? Did did she kind of know if I get oh I'm sure certain X mark, then I'm going to get put on a six month probation, which I'll get through fine. It's just I'm, I'm sure I'm she did. It very difficult if... to reconcile the Agatha we know and the Agatha we know is here to the Agatha that is being depicted. And it's not a criticism. I'm, it's like, I can't believe that's the same Agatha at this point. I'm I'm sure that either she's failed on purpose or maybe they know. Maybe the teachers know and are going along with it. That's a good point, actually. That is a good point. You know they can they can use her as as an example of like what not to do, you know, because this 
in the last book, she got so upset because she couldn't, she never had her handkerchief or whatever, and then Sede tied hers on <laughs> in the wrong time with her flat bosoms, like, but then everyone's like, oh, oh, Agatha, that's not what you're supposed to do. So it's a, like a teaching moment for everyone else. It just feels like they're in on it. Yeah, I never considered that the teachers were in on it as well. Which is, given who's sponsoring her, would make a lot of sense. But that just goes to show as well how good she is. Yeah. Fooling everyone. And what do you think the fortune teller whispered? Maybe she had a secret missive from her patron. Ah, another good thought. I was wondering if it was about... Because everything else that Madame Spatoon has said, not that I'm saying she was an actual fortune teller, but was fairly spot on. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if she was going to whisper something about travel, because we know one thing about Agatha is that she does want to... She, she does doesn't want to go want home. Travel. She wants to travel. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like they're all in on it. Yeah. Now that you've said it that way, it actually makes a lot more sense. Like, I can reconcile the pool marks and the certain amount of forgiveness. Because if she really is as bad as she's pretending to be, like, there's no way they would have kept her at the school. No. No. There's no No, way. I think think you're onto something there. Speaking of the... Madame P- Sp- Spatuna, that uh-huh. scene, I, I really enjoyed the fortune telling scene. I like yeah. the seeds of knowing what happens, like calling Precious Spider. We know she becomes the Black yes. Widow. Yes, and then, and then Mademoiselle Geraldine is like, oh, I hope that you marry multiple times because of widowed, not because of divorce. <gasps> we're all like secretly going (laughs) yeah because we know i mean and she's already declared it that she wants to poison her first husband but we know (laughs) that's what she does delightful in every way shape and form yeah i just really enjoyed the the bits like sit here why are you here you know your fate yeah does she fully know her fate oh it's hard to say I want to talk to you about Professor Braithwaite. Now, clarification. Professor Braithwaite or Professor Braithwaite's moustache? They're two <laughs> very do, separate entities. They are. <laughs> and I do love Professor, Professor Braithwaite's moustache. But I'm actually, like, I want I want to get serious here for a second, which is odd. Oh, hold on, but... serious face. <sighs> I know. But how do you feel about what happened with Professor Braithrope because of Sophronia trying to discredit Professor Shrimpdiddle? Told. And, like, because she is so... She feels so much guilt over his fall because of what... You know, what she believes Professor Shrimpdiddle did to his suit, which then we learn after the fact from Viev that, like, oh, no, it he kind of went bonkers as soon as he got to the ether. So it wasn't necessarily 
wasn't necessarily your fault. It wasn't your fault. And it also, she says it wasn't her fault because like you can't control what other people do. But like, how do you feel about that? I'm extremely torn. Extremely torn. Um, You kind of have to examine the component parts. She was helping a friend, which is commendable. Yes. But did Professor Shrimdittle deserve to be discredited? Was he Pillover liked him? You know, he said he's one of the. the I mean, well, liked him. He, he, he told he like as much as he he's, likes anybody. Yeah, he's one of the better. He's ones. one of the better ones. So he's obviously one of the ones that isn't you know bullying Pillover. Yeah. Um, the way she did it was very clever. Oh, it, it was. was really smart. She came at different you know points for the attack. She was a very clever girl. She did it for gadgets and for friendship. Yeah. I can commend the friendship, but not necessarily the gadgets. No. Um, and she did ultimately drive him to tampering Professor Braithwaite's suit. And yes, yeah. we know that wasn't the cause of his um, madness. It was the ether, but in the thick of things, when Professor Braithwaite's on the ground, crazed and th- bloodthirsty, mm-hmm. um, and we don't know if he's going to ever be fine again. It's very fatalistic yeah. when it, the it line is. that the line that was said, and I copied it directly, was that she doesn't, she will never know if he fell. Or jumped on purpose, so we yeah. from that line we know she never speaks to Professor Braithwaite again, and that yeah. line was taken directly from the book. So yeah. we, she's never going to know, she's never going to get the forgiveness from Professor Braithwaite for her part that was played. No. no, but at that at the point of everything that's going on, Trimdale is convinced that he's the one who tampered, and therefore is probably the one that caused him to tip over, and is quite happy with that. Right. If he felt his hand was tipped, but you've also driven somebody he, to do he, that. That's not good. Yeah. What did he do to the suit? Did he mess with the valve? Because then you know, Sophronia jumps down from where she is, watching him up in the ether, and she sees him fall. And is able to climb down the ship and into the boiler room to talk to Soap, to talk to the head sooty or whatever, or head greaser or whoever's down there. She talks to that guy who's like, look, I can't do anything until I get notice from the pilot's bubble. And then he gets that. Like, how fast did she get down there? Oh, she went very fast, but... in if you think about the length of the 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 school dirigible is freaking huge, right? So even if she is the fastest she's ever scrambled across that ship, I would say there's at least five minutes between getting from the top to the boiler room, getting directions from Soap on who to talk to, and speaking mm-hmm. to the person for mm-hmm. the notice to come down from the pilot's bubble and then for them to deflate right. the middle balloon and do the necessary discharge. And then 
floored down. Right. There's at least five minutes. Braithwaub's on the ground. He is he is scone yeah. splat because it doesn't take yeah, that long to has... fall. No, it doesn't. Um, but I wonder, like, was it the valve that Shrimp Diddle messed with because then it wouldn't have, like, clicked over and told the other valve what it was supposed to know, like, that he's fallen or that whatever has happened has happened? It was the valve, as far as I'm aware. But also it's made that the valve isn't automated. He didn't. He was he already was supposed to flip it he himself. Was, uh-huh. That's what VF basically says is that he went over and was driven crazy because of the ether and he never got the opportunity to use the valve. Yeah. So ultimately, like she isn't necessarily she, she She's not responsible. She's really she's really not, not responsible. But she has to bear some responsibility. Yeah. I think more... I know that she feels really guilty about Professor Braithwaite getting hurt. Where she should feel guilty about Professor Shrimpdiddle being completely discredited. Because we learn, you know, that, that Professor Braithwaite fell because of the ether. Yes. And that's nobody's fault. Like, we just know that vampires cannot travel through the ether so i like that vev says that and she's like science yeah we learned something tests don't always go according to plan and sometimes things people explode yeah but yeah at the end of the day she's learned that 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 actions have consequences right and Maybe she should think about it a little bit more because Shrimp Dental's going to get done for attempted murder. And he seemed yeah. okay, you know, one of the lesser. Yeah. Professor Braithwarp is never going to recover as far as we know. Mm-hmm. But again, it's not down to the suit. But yeah, I think I think she I think she should feel a little bit guilty, because I think yeah. that guilt is going to help her be a better intelligencer, and yeah, she's course. going to carry that with her, and it's going to be something that she's going to learn from. It is the one of the biggest lessons, it, more than eyelash fluttering and raising eyebrows, is learning that yeah. actions have consequences. Yeah, and that there is a difference between being responsible and being and responsibility yes but it was it was i love professor braithwaite i know was, me too and his mustache and his mustache was so sad when he i always you know kenneth branner's um hercule Poirot mustache yes that's the task yes. it twitched he followed along after it and he was he was um a quality a vampire quality so yeah I almost feel like, because we've had the introduction of Lord Akeldama now, I almost feel like <laughs> Professor Braithwaite had to be pushed over the bra- over the rail to make room for, an- <laughs> for another he vampire. Did, because... there's, o- there's only room for one rove. Yes, and 
Lord Akeldama is so huge. His personality is enormous, and now he can be the only one. Yeah. Freaking love that you can just dress up as a ridiculous dandy, turn up to a hive house and say, oh, you know, he's he's a bit of a jokester. And like, oh, Lord Air is And they're like, Get oh, in. yeah. It's him, he's had All it right. again. Fine. <sighs> okay. <laughs> my little honeydew. Oh, my, little, my little dew drop. I love him. I love him so much. I always wonder as well why the audiobook narrator, so I think it's more of a quirk who does this one, why he mm-hmm. has a lisp. Because of his fangs, of course. He's had the fangs for several... And because he's the world's gayest vampire. Gay does not so mean lisp, does give him, We have to give him the gayest voice. <laughs> Has to have some it's kind of... It's very stereotypical. It's very stereotypical gay. Yes, but I, I will admit to not knowing any... Moira Quirk is perfect. Oh, she's completely perfect. I just don't understand the choice of the lisp because it's not in the books. Are you telling me it's a homosexual lisp? Because that we- that sounds weird. I'm saying that that's a stereotype for homosexuals, unfortunately. Not in, not in the UK. Can we give credit as well to Bumbersnoop, please? Of course. Because of course. Not only does he go underneath Monique's skirts and blow steam and poop ash on her shoes, mm-hmm. he whistles, which who knew he could whistle, when Dimity right. is going to be in trouble. Uh-huh. And then he causes absolute chaos at the hive house. Yeah, And it sounds like he was a very good dog when he was with yes. Madame Spatuna for that short period of time. Yes. Yes. Bum snoot, MVP. With soap. I also, I was about to say, we also have to mention soap because he's wonderful in every way. Yes. Yes. He's He's beautiful. He's strong. He's protective. And he smells nice. He smells nice. He's got a dazzling smile. And he treats Sophronia so well. He respects her. He listens he to does. her. And he knows that she is perfectly capable of being her. Yeah. Respect is so attractive. It really is. Mm. So good. Were you surprised by anything? No, because we've read this book a thousand times? It is difficult to be surprised by something when you've read it a thousand times. Um, Probably Monique's narcissism. And self-absorption is so great, she doesn't freaking realise when Sophronia and Sid here are standing in front of her in terrible, ridiculous dandy costumes. Yeah. She does not pay attention to anything at all other than herself. If, if, the, re- if the roles were reversed and it were Sophronia encountering Monique and Prussia... Yeah somewhere hidden as dandies she would know exactly who they were just based on like their mannerisms and i mean hell 
she's wearing Prussia's jacket, and Prussia and Monique share a room. So you know that Monique has seen that jacket before. Yes. I, I, Monique is the type of person that the only thing that's going to draw her eye is a mirror. Is a mirror. <laughs> yeah. Just tells her there was a season. Yeah. <sighs> She's not good. I'm glad that they recommended that she not get a chance to finish again. Oh, God, They're so like, you know sweet. what? You're done. Just get out. Sometimes you've you, just got to cut the chaff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, just just get out. You, you're terrible. You're done. I'm actually kind of, you know, I know last time in book one, I'm like, I wonder if, you know, Monique's ever going to get her own story. I don't actually want Monique's story anywhere past these four. Because... I mean, she's probably not living an intelligence or life. No. But also, she doesn't deserve any more recognition. She doesn't deserve to be the front and centre. She also yeah. doesn't deserve or need redemption. Mm-mm. I think... Yeah, just give just give me a soap story instead. Oh, God, yes. Give me Bumbersnoot's story. Yes! I want the escapades of Bumbersnoot and Spoo. Yes. How does how? But Spoo's but Spoo's not in this no, one. No, Spoo might be so... at the end of it all. But mm. I need to know how Bumbersnoot gets from Mademoiselle Geraldine's Phoenician Academy for Ladies of Quality mm-hmm. onto the spot of custard. Yeah, I need that story. It's very important. We need to know. Yes, the many adventures of Bumbersnoot. Yes. We need to know the many adventures of Bumbersnoot. It's important. Yes. Okay. And on that note. All right. Pew, 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 pew. We asked on social media, would you rather be taught how to fight by a werewolf or be taught etiquette by a vampire? Mm. On Facebook, 66% said werewolf. On Instagram, 74% said werewolf. On Twitter, 51% said vampire etiquette. And on TikTok, it was 100% werewolf. Wow. I am actually very surprised by these results. Yeah. I don't know if it's my vampire bias. Yeah, it is. Probably. I will hold my hand to that. Yeah. And wiggle my eyebrows. But I thought, I don't know, I thought they might be a bit closer. Like the Twitter one, I, I feel like I can understand. And we had quite a few votes on that one, so... Yes, we did. Yeah, interesting. We didn't have very many votes on TikTok this time. I don't know what I've done to displease the TikTok deities. Bloody TikTok. But we didn't... TikTok. We didn't get many votes on TikTok this time. I wish I liked TikTok. I do not. Mm-mm. I'm going to read comments because our yes. listeners are wonderful. Yes. Annie on Facebook said, whilst I'm usually on the always vampire side, very well done, I think I have mm. a pretty good knowledge of etiquette and what I don't, I can fake with common sense. But I definitely want to be a badass warrior against evil with a bladed fan. Ooh, yeah. yeah. 
Bree on Facebook says, I am learning to kill someone with a fan from a werewolf. If I do good enough, you think he'll let me ride him in wolf yes. form? But I am a hopeless American with etiquette. The vampire would get fed up and eat me before I learned anything. <laughs> I don't think the werewolf cares about that the, the vampire would you know, care. No. It's going to eat you. Colin on Facebook said, I'd probably piss off the vampire by booping them on the nose, whereas if I booped the werewolf, I'd get extra credit and the chance to give tummy scratches. Or my arm chewed off. Maybe I haven't thought about this properly. Mm. If it was Captain Knight, I think he'd probably quite like a, a tummy scratch. He probably would. Vincent on Facebook says, Etiquette from a vampire. They've had centuries to perfect it, so you know it's gonna be good. Would they know which fork and knife to use? They haven't eaten for a while. But they'll have watched others that's true, eat. That's true. Rebecca's studio freelance edit on Instagram said, Fight by werewolf. Hmm. L20Kev on Instagram says, Etiquette by a vampire. Because I am obsessed with Fight Club and have always wondered about something. When Tyler Durden is on an airplane, he goes to the bathroom and he needs to pass the air hostesses. He asks Jack, here's a question of etiquette. As I pass, do I give the ass or the crotch? He ended up giving the crotch, but I'd like to ask a vampire who knows their stuff if he was right or if he should have given her the ass. These are important things. These are important questions to ask. This, this, this is something we all need to know. We, we do, do need to know. I yeah. know ass stewards. I could ask. Yeah. You, you should ask if... <laughs> crotch your ass. I'll ask them to do a survey. Okay. Very <laughs> good. Did they send... I'm a little bit... Did they send us anything? They didn't. No! They didn't. I'm a little bit upset. I'm a little bit upset by this next one because... It's Constance. And Constance has fallen back into her old ways of sending us song lyrics. But we had promises. Yeah. We had promises that they were going to sing to us. Constance and Brie. Constance and Brie were supposed to sing this to us so that we could share it with you listeners. I, 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 there was a guarantee in there. There was a guarantee. There was. Does this mean we have to do it? I guess. Please. Which part do you want to do? Whichever. I would like to point out, though, Constance has used this one before. So I call shenanigans on the the actual comment itself, but it is relevant. But she's also added to it. Yeah, well, tenuous. This is not the recommendation section. <laughs> would 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 you like to take the lead? We or must you, be you... swift as the coursing river. Be a well woman. With all the force of a great typhoon. Be a well woman. 
With all the strength of a raging fire. Mysterious as the dark side of the moon. (laughs) Brie, Constance, you awesome. I think they did it to us on purpose. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Bonds of friendship. It's amazing what we do for them. They have the pickle in when you need them. (laughs) Or the Westminster Hive. Anywho, let's move on. on. (laughs) Library. Yes, we got some good library quotes this time. I think my favorite one was if used properly, one can slay people with etiquette. Hashtag team vamp. I did enjoy that one. That was a good one. One of mine that I particularly liked was, I'm a lover, not a fighter. So vampire etiquette it is. Mm. I'm curious as to who said, fight. At this point in my life, I am over etiquette. And then they wrote to the side, burps in public. Well, this is when you need to, you know, watch people and see who burps in public so loudly. I I have a good idea of who it is. There's two oh. people that it could be. Oh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'll have to pay attention. So what are you going to do? Vampire. Well, yeah. Why do we because... even ask these questions anymore? I know. I mean, I had, I had for a nanosecond thought, well, werewolves no. would provide very good fighting skills. No. But then I'm thinking, Stop actually, it. vampire fangs. Vampires, like like the the person at the library who's like etiquette could slay. Yeah. Yes, I want to slay you with a burn. A verbal burn. Yeah. So much that even like, you know, three generations down the line, they're still going, Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. I want to give someone the cut direct. Yeah. 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 It'll anyway. present itself. It'll present itself. One day. Anyway, One day it will. <laughs> Would you rather... Have your fortune told by palm reading or tarot cards? Tarot cards. I find tarot cards very interesting. I don't know how to read tarot. I have several sets. I can literally read one right now. Um, And I do have them more for the artwork than what's behind the tarot. Mm -hmm. But very interesting. And I would rather tarot. I have a good, I've got an interesting story about tarot, but not for recording. I think that I would rather choose palm reading because I feel like with tarot, you are, like, you know what the cards mean if you're, you know, if you are one who reads tarot cards, you know what Mm. they mean. So you can bend a story around the significance of the cards but with palm reading you know yeah you know what the lines are supposed to mean and whatever but 
it's I feel like it's not quite as obvious. And mm. I think you would get a more interesting story from palm yeah. reading. A more think, creative story. It depends on the teller. Because if they're of just course. looking at them, like palm or tarot, just looking and go, well, you are going to live a long life and you are going to... Then it's kind of like, well, mm, mm, yeah. you, you, I, I can literally hear you the instruction manual. Right. Um, but if it's somebody who can, like Madame Spatuna actually say even just one thing yeah oh hang on that actually has a lot of truth in it then yeah i think that's really good as long as it's got to be good at chord reading really right yeah definitely i like that after this encounter with madame spituna which sophronia immediately knows oh she's She's an intelligencer. She's already done this. She's she's one of Geraldine's girls. I like that she's like, well, maybe I should look into fortune telling a little bit. Just in case. I love, side note, the fact that they call everybody Geraldine's girls already, but Mademoiselle Geraldine is oblivious. <laughs> yes. I like that. Too. Next question. Would you rather flirt? I don't even know why I'm asking this question. I don't either. I don't. Either. Would you rather flirt I don't with even soap, know what it is. Lord Dinglepoops, or Felix? And why are you flirting with soap? Oh, definitely soap. One hundred percent soap. <laughs> There's no question. Because he looks good. He smells good. He has respect for you. Yes. And because he's strong. Yeah. He has a nice smile. Yeah. He's probably got a nice butt, too. Well, I mean, considering how much he works out yeah. shuffling coal all day, every yeah. day, that, that boy's going to be, you know, having some serious muscles. Yeah. Also, can I point out that Soap is of legal age because he is a few years older than Sephora. Yes. That's <laughs> important. Just, they're just getting know. in there because of, you know, otherwise it's a bit... Mm. Why'd you have to bring us down like that? I'm sorry. Just think about soap smell and the arms. Soft kisses on that little exposed part above you. That's a good spot to get a kiss, too. I'm not going to go It'll back. Linger. It will. I'm not going to go back to what we learned from Sookie last week. <laughs> if you know, you know. If you listened to last week's episode, you know, you know the quote to which I am referring. And if you don't, go back and listen. It's worth it. Go back and listen. <laughs> Would you rather have Viev's sputter skates, the obstructor, or the hurley? <sighs> As fun as the sputter skates would be, they don't work properly. I'm going to go with the obstructor because I want to sneak about that ship. I do not want to sneak about that ship on the outside because that sounds terrifying. Yeah. You're exposed to the open air. You've got to have a lot of upper body strength. <laughs> so I'm going with obstructor. I'm sneaky, sneaky. I wish that I were strong enough to use the Hurley. I would choose the Hurley. I wish that I were strong enough and brave enough 
Same. to make that choice. Same, but I'm being realistic. If so I'm if I'm being realistic, I'm picking the sputter skates. But I would like to have the ability to use the Hurley. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Last question. Would you rather get top marks in your review but be ostracized by your friends or discredit a teacher and lose your friend to another school? I think... I think I'm going to go discredit a teacher and lose my friend to another school because I'm, of course, thinking of the well-being of my friends. And you know how much I love Viev, and we yes. all want Viev to be successful in life. And she really needs to go to Bunsen's and learn how to become an evil genius. So <laughs> I'm going to do what it takes to get Viev where she needs to go. No, with I her, agree. With her mustache. I agree with most of it, but I I disagree, or beg to differ on one point. What? Learn to be an evil genius. Yeah, that girl okay. is well on her yeah, way. Yeah, she is. It's refined her evil genius. It's true. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I just wish that, I mean, I know that we see Viev in future stories, but I wouldn't mind reading about Viev's time at Bunsen's. Yes. I would like that because your pillover will be in as well. And I do like pillover. We do like pillover. And Felix. And bless him. And Dingle Proops. Yes. It would I, be interesting. It would be interesting. It would. It would be very interesting. It would be nice to have, have that alternate perspective. Yes. You could even cover the same time. It's going to be over the same time period that you would have the interaction from... Sophonia Dimity and mm-hmm. Sid here as well. Yeah. I also just want to see her <laughs> employ the mustache. <laughs> I, just, I just got this image of one day she just walks in and just pushed on her face. She just like, has a giant mustache you, on and everyone's like... You know, it takes about, you know, months at our age to grow those things, yeah? And, and some people just don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, I know that our next, our next moment is favorite final thought quote, and that thought just, just made me remember another quote that I wanted um, to mention, and I forgot to write it down. So, um, I am going to investigate that for just a moment. Okay, I got it now. So, favorite final thought quote? Behind the curtain. Um, there are many. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you remember the scene when uh, Sophronia needs to quickly follow Monique? So she goes and borrows Satir's um, boys' clothes? Yes. It's one of the greatest scenes in the entire book, and I'm really sorry we didn't mention it earlier, but Agatha and Sophonia find out that Sid here has seen men naked. Oh, that's such a good scene. Yeah. <laughs> and Sid here's like, well, duh, it's a pack. I live with literal werewolves. 
what do you think happens when they change? They get naked. Of course I've seen men naked. <laughs> so obviously, Sophronia and Agatha are curious. Yes. No, what's a man like down there? Oh, said Hair Wrinkled Her Nose. Unimpressive. They have, she gestured towards her own nether regions with one hand, a sort of dangly sausage. Lacks tailoring. <laughs> really? Yes. Like it wasn't fitted into its casing properly. And hairy. <laughs> I was like, I don't believe you. Oh, you'll find it, Agatha. Don't worry. Oh, you will. <laughs> oh, that's then, a good one. One of my favourite scenes, and I totally forgot to mention that it was. One of my other favourite scenes that we have talked about was in the Westminster Hive with the ridiculous dandies. And it's specifically the bit where Dimity throws herself at the pickleman. And she actually starts listing off all the mistreatment claims. And it's the mistreatment claims that I just adored. So the quote is... She claimed all manner of mistreatment at the hands of the Countess. The tea was lukewarm, the biscuits stale, the seat cushion lumpy, and a girl had been bitten to death right in front of her. She demanded to be rescued instantly and rounded out her complaints with a plaintive explanation that she was missing a ball. (laughs) My favourite is that she's like, the tea. The biscuits. The cushion. And then she's like, and then someone was murdered right in front of me. That's the that's, hey, that's the last she one. She has priorities <laughs> and I can't help but agree with them. Oh yeah, you and serve also me the tea murder. and I will give you one star <laughs> on Yell. Also but- the murder. But the ball! I'm missing a ball! Oh, dignity never change. Um, and the last quote I'm going to give you is a systematic special. Death felt systematic. Must come to everyone in the end. Sometimes it simply required a little help. Oh, Sister Maddie. <sighs> what have you got? All right. The one that I just had to go searching for is when Sophronia and Viev are talking about what Viev is going to do when she's at Bunsen's. Because obviously, you know, she's a little kid right now, but like she, Sophronia gestures like at her bosom area. And Viev says, I come from a long line of bonny women, so I shouldn't think that will be a problem. And I managed to fool even you until you were told. But I love <laughs> that she's like, yeah, I, I'm i not going to have boobs. I come from a long line of, you know, bosomless women. <laughs> and I like that. I like that mostly because I am also basically bosomless. With a fake mustache. With a fake mustache. Oh my god, you have. And I rather enjoy hats. Can you be bribed with a hat? I could be bribed with a hat, 100%. Do you 
often create evil. Yes, you do create evil. <gasps> You're the F. I am. It, Whoa. Except for the... Frenchness. The Frenchness and what comes later. That could be a quirk. You could suddenly start affecting a French accent. I could. I could. Do it and see how long it takes people to to notice. Okay, I will. You shall be exceedingly French. (laughs) French. Do you have more quotes? I do. Nope, I do have more. I have more. All the best geniuses are evil. It's true. Which is true. Footwear, after all, was a serious commitment. <laughs> and then, seriously, the actions of others are not your fault. Serious one. If you liked this, try this. I am going to recommend Stalking Jack the Ripper by Kerry Maniscalco. I've listened to it. Was too bad. Quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the summary is from KerryManiscalco.com. 17-year-old Audrey Rose Wadsworth was born a lord's daughter with a life of wealth and privilege stretched out before her. But between social teas and silk dress fittings, she leads a forbidden secret life. Against her stern father's wishes and society's expectations, Audrey often slips away to her uncle's laboratory to study the gruesome practice of forensic medicine. When her work on a string of savagely killed corpses drags Audrey into an investigation of a serial murderer, her search for answers brings her close to her own sheltered world. It's it's good. It is good. It's not as funny as Ms. Gale, but it does have like, yeah, it does have some soap element to it. Um, she is a little bit of a Sophronia Viev kind of character and that, you know, she has that crossover but never goes to the extreme of either of them because you can't in one person, but it's, you know, they are very enjoyable, lighter reads, Mm, Okay, and I would recommend the audiobooks What Um, have you got? I found this one from a book riot list about spies um, this one is called A Spy in the House by Y.S. Lee. In Victorian London, Mary Quinn, an orphan and thief, was rescued from a death sentence and sent to Miss Scrimshaw's Academy for Girls, a secret school that is a cover for the all-female investigative unit, The Agency. After her training is complete, Mary is sent out into the streets of London to uncover clues about a series of missing cargo ships. Mary disguises herself as a lady's maid and sneaks into some of London's grandest houses, only to find secrets about not only the missing ships, but her own past as well. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh. Do we have an Indie Spotlight? We do. It is hashtag tenuous link. Love it. Yep. Um, This one 
is not out yet. It's coming out soon. It's called Daisy Woodworm Changes the World. It's by Melissa Hart, and it's more middle grade than YA, which is okay. Oh, definitely. 13-year-old Daisy Woodward loves insects, running track, and hanging out with her older brother, Sorrel, who has Down syndrome. And here's the hashtag tenuous link. And adores men's fashion. (laughs) When her school social studies teacher assigns each student a project to change the world for the better, along with an oral report, Daisy fears the class bully, who calls her woodworm, will make fun of her lisp. Hey, there's another hashtag tenuous link. (laughs) School bullying. (laughs) No, the lisp! Oh, the lisp. But also school bullying. Also school bullying. Still, she decides to help Sorrel fulfill his dream of becoming a YouTube fashion celebrity, despite their parents' refusal to allow him on social media. With the help of her best friend Poppy and Miguel, the most popular boy in school and her former enemy, Daisy launches Sorrel's publicity campaign. But catastrophe strikes when her parents discover him online along with hateful comments from a cyber bully. That's not okay. If Daisy has any hope of changing the world, she'll have to regain her family's trust and face her fears of public speaking to find her own unique and powerful voice. It sounds, you know, pretty precious. Sounds like it's going to be a lot of heavy moments too. It does. It does. All right. So that's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. I am Claire of Quality. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Professor Amanda of Quality. I am Lady Claire of Quality. <laughs> Quality. Don't worry, everyone. There's only two more weeks that we're going to be doing this. But Sifra Jackson will never go. We love it here. <laughs> Read my eyebrows, they tell you everything. Join us next time as we discuss In Deeper Waters by F.T. Lukens. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. That was excellent. Ah, That's a very quality podcast. Top quality. Top quality.